Welcome back to another author interview on Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest, Riley Sager. Riley's fourth novel, Home Before Dark, hit shelves today, June 30th, and we could not be more excited to share our conversation with him. Told in dual timelines, Home Before Dark is a multi-generational story about the Holt family's time at the infamous Bainberry Hall in Bartleby, Vermont. 25 years prior, Maggie Holt and her parents fled Bainberry Hall in the middle of the night after a series of haunting and terrifying encounters with the house's violent history. After her father wrote their experiences in a cult classic, House of Horrors, Maggie's identity was defined as the five-year-old girl depicted in the paranormal phenomenon. Following her father's death, she has returned to Bainberry Hall for the first time to discover the truth about her family's terrifying escape. Here is our conversation with Riley. Welcome to Read It or List It. Thank you for joining us today. We are so excited to have you here. We have been asked a lot by our listeners to feature thrillers, and you know them better than anyone. So we would love if you could begin by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. And um, yeah, I'm Riley Sager, and I write thrillers that sort of walk a fine line between psychological thriller and horror. And I'm the author of Final Girls, The Last Time I Lied, Lock Every Door, and my current one, Home Before Dark. Which we are both so excited about. I notoriously do not read thrillers and I thoroughly enjoyed reading Home Before Dark. I had so much fun. Mm -hmm. I think I'm converting you. I've been trying for months to convert her because I used to read exclusively thrillers and now I read, you know, a lot, a lot of different genres, but thrillers will always be my first love into um, reading. And so I'm so happy to finally get her on this, on the train with your book. All aboard the thriller train. <laughs> you began your career as a journalist and a graphic designer. So what was the transition from those careers into writing fiction? Well, yeah, I was a journalist for a long time. Um, I've, I've been an, I you know, was a film critic in my college paper. I interviewed celebrities. I then you know, became a copy editor and headline writer and page designer designer and I was sort of like a jack of all trades in the journalism field and um, during that time I'd written a couple mysteries that were published under my real name because Riley Sager is not my real name and they weren't selling very well and that was okay because I had a job until one day I didn't have a job anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know journalism Mm -hmm. and so I was at this crossroads where it's like well dang I don't have a job or a publisher (laughs) what am I going to do with my life Mm -hmm. And I came up with the idea for Final Girls. And that sort of phase two and became like a whole new brand. And it just took off in crazy, unexpected ways. And so here I am now, still in a bit of state of disbelief that this has all happened. That's amazing. (laughs) And did you kind of, I know that idea came to you. Did did you always want to write thrillers? Were there any other genres that kind of spoke to you in the beginning that you thought, oh, maybe I'll try this? Or did this idea of like, crime and the psychology around that really was that always something you were drawn to yeah I've, I've always loved scary things even as a kid and then when I became a teenager I was like obsessed with like Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. and you know then, then the Silence of the Lambs came out and I was obsessed <laughs> with like serial killers and so I was probably a very very morbid child 
And <laughs> so when I started thinking, maybe I want to write things because I enjoy reading so much, maybe writing will be fun too. Like I just naturally gravitated toward that. And there's also, I mean, I read all genres mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm good enough to write something like um, All the Light We Cannot See or <laughs> to write like, you know, this deep wonder wonderful literary fiction but i do believe that i'm a really good storyteller mm-hmm. and that gift lends itself to thrillers definitely yeah. that was one of the things i said to ashley where i was like the writing was so compelling and like it really kept me wanting to read regardless of how scared i was of what was going on so i think that like your writing is a really good hook to tell these like more thrillery horror stories and so did you have any authors that inspired your writing so so many um you know i graduated pretty quickly from like judy bloom and beverly cleary (laughs) to agatha christie and then you know that sort of led to stephen king and dean koontz Mm -hmm. and then you know in my adulthood i started discovering these great female writers like contemporary writers like laura Littman and and Mm -hmm. megan abbott and so there's just like every book i read i sort of probably have absorbed something even if it's a bad book like i i learn a lesson there and so i think my writing is just sort of a culmination of all the reading I've done in my entire lifetime. The best ad- advice I feel like writers get is to just keep reading. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yes. And unfortunately, sometimes, like when you're on a book of your schedule like I am, you don't have as much time to read as you'd like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, yeah. that bugs me a lot where I'm like, I'm, I'm working on a book. I'm on deadline. I'm like, I'd love to just be reading something right now. Yeah, because yeah, you, you, yeah. you have to remain in that world it's hard to um consume other forms of media i know a lot of writers say even watching tv shows can be hard because you have to live with your characters um and not get pulled out of it yeah if i read anything it's generally non-fiction when i'm writing i'll just like a big give me an 800 page like biography and you know that'll keep me occupied during the whole writing process of my own book (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that that probably speaks a little bit to your past as a journalist, which we also kind of see in Home Before Dark. Where did the inspiration for Home Before Dark come from? It was really inspired by the Amityville horror. And mm-hmm. I was I was listening to a phenomenal podcast called Stuff You Should Know, and they did an episode on the Amityville horror and how you know, what were the re- what were the reasons behind it? Like Everyone kind of agrees, okay, this family moved into this house, something bad happened before they moved in, and then they fled, and they said it's haunted, and there's demon pigs, and all this kind of craziness, and Mm. they, until the end of their lives, like, said, this was true, this really happened. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, it was the idea of, why would people do this? Yeah. And what about the kids who went through it? And so that's where this idea of like, okay, this woman, when she was a kid, had this Amityville horror type thing happen. And now 25 years later, she gets to go back and maybe try to find out the truth. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. And I I was telling Phoebe, so one, my husband and I are in the process of house hunting right now. And (laughs) so I was reading, I was reading this and I go, man, I really hope that uh, my realtor is a little bit more forthcoming with the history of the houses that I'm looking at. No Janie Junes. I know. No Janie Junes. (laughs) 
And it also reminded me a lot of, I'm a lawyer, and one of the infamous cases that we read in law schools, first-year students in our property class, is this case called Stambovsky v. Ackley. And it's basically about, like, homeowners, they built their house up to have a reputation as a haunted house. And then when it came to trying to sell it or determine its value, they wanted to step away from that reputation. And the court was like, whoa, 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 you built this town up on this haunted house and now you are bound to it. So I thought it was just like so interesting um, having that background and reading the story and seeing it in a fictionalized setting. And I, I did stumble upon that case yeah, because I, I was looking around like at home values, like, like did the Amityville house, like does that sell for more than it's worth because of the reputation or less? And so oh. I did stumble upon that case. That was something Ashley brought it up to me. I was like, Oh, how cool. Like, um, but it home before dark is filled with these like, really like page turning moments, especially because it is told in dual timeline. So what is the writing process like to create those page turning moments? Do you have an outline? Or is it just like, does it strike you as you're like living in the character's shoes? This one, I'm I'm an outliner by nature, but this one definitely had to be outlined to perfection before I was writing it because the, you know, Maggie's story and her father's book are so intertwined mm. and I sort of think of them as like they're two separate narratives taking place simultaneously in the same location just 25 years apart and right. one of them might be a lie so <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was really um I knew that they really had to be compatico like I thought of like gears like they're matching up completely in order for this whole machine to start turning so yeah. I spent months, literally months, outlining the book, like just mm. getting all the pieces into place. And I would do some writing, you know, some of the early chapters is like, okay, I can work on this. But the meat of the book, it all had to be laid out ahead of time. Yeah, I like how you get answers. So if you're in a Maggie's POV in a, in a Maggie cha- chapter, you sort of like questions are introduced in hers, but you get answers for them in her father's chapters through his book. And it's just, um, I would have to remind myself, I was like, oh wait, now we're going back to the past, even though the fonts are different, it's a different layout a little bit between the chapters, but it's still told chronologically almost. Yeah. And I love the way that they, like you said, they felt like gears, like you left off and you came back in the same moments. So when you were doing that, did you kind of, did you write them separately? Like, did you first write the book and then, and, and Maggie's dad telling his story and then did you read Maggie or did you kind of do them together? I I did them together. It was, it was very tough. Like, I mean, eventually like I would get their voices separate in my head and so that made it easier and I know that sounds like weird and methody but I would like I'd be writing Maggie and I would hear her voice in my head and so mm-hmm. when it was time you know oh, okay it's now one o'clock I'm going to switch over to Ewan's chapter now mm-hmm. and it was easy to just sort of dive right back into his because I had his voice yeah um but yeah they, they were written pretty much simultaneously because I wanted it to feel simultaneous right. even to the extent where you know, like I think there's a, a scene where with the the creepy wardrobe that's in young Maggie's bedroom. <laughs> and, you know, 
he sees that, you know, it's been opened in the middle of the night. And then the very next scene is Maggie. And she's seen that it's been closed and boarded up. Yeah. And so just yeah. all these different sort of, I, I liken it to a funhouse mirror. Like they're constantly reflecting each other, but not completely accurately. There's always something a little bit warped about it. Yeah, I think that's a really great analogy for it. Because um, I, de- I, I definitely felt that way while reading it. And it this one, I, I would say, is a little bit different from your other books because it does incorporate more of the paranormal and like classic horror elements. So how did this process, uh, the, the process for writing Home Before Dark, differ from your other books? All of my books really tend to be inspired by that certain trope, you know, the, the, the final girl or the sinister apartment building. And um, with this one, I knew it, the time had come to do a haunted house book. Mm-hmm. It's just, in, in every scary writer's life, haunted house <laughs> must fall. And, <laughs> and, and so I didn't want to do a normal haunted house book. I wanted to put my own spin on it and I wanted to make it fresh. And so just that idea of, having the book within the book structure where yes, here's all the ghosts that you want here they are. And then the other half of the book is, and they might not be real and it might be something worse than ghosts. And to give the reader the stereotypical haunted house and then to also give them something that they might not be expecting. Definitely. There's a, the psychological element I was not expecting at all. Cause so many people were like, Oh, Phoebe, this is going to scare you. <laughs> and it did scare me, but in, um, I, uh, and not in a fun, I guess in a fun way, cause I had a lot of fun reading it, but it was, it's more than just a ghost story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I, a, a review of it said that it, it's about, it's not really a ghost story, but it is about like, a haunting and it's how this this story has haunted her and definitely really wasn't like completely intentional (laughs) like that was just a happy accident but I love that like people are picking up on that definitely because Maggie was so defined by her time by the fictionalized version of herself um, because she was five years old when her family fled in the middle of the night and is now like as an adult having to face like the lies that our parents tell us, even if they are um, like, they could be to protect us. They could be to hurt us. Like facing those things as an adult is really, really difficult. That kind of speaks to, I think we can draw on these like larger themes in this book that it's, it is really this like larger haunting of our past and coming to terms with things that happened in our past. Is there anything that you want your readers to take away from this story and how you how do you want them to feel when they're reading this book? Well, I want them to question every sound they hear in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, that's that's number one. I want right. them to think twice when they take a sip of coffee. Oh, gosh. Oh, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm so absolutely proud of that scene, um, even though it terrified <laughs> me to write it. Um, and I, I really want them to never watch the sound of music the same again <laughs> I so when you're talking about methody you, that that doesn't matter to me I'm an actor so I totally get that but the first professional show I ever did when I was five years old was the sound of music and I <laughs> now it is totally I'll never be able to listen to the music the same way <laughs> 
Phoebe and I primarily communicate via audio messages to one another. So for now on, like when I, in like the middle of the night, I'm just going to send her an audio message. It's just like, you are 16, go nonsense. <laughs> well, what, I, what I'm worried about is, I mean, because one, that song was the only song that popped into my head for that. It's like, okay, we have a record player that turns itself on in the middle of the night and plays a song. That's going to be the song. Because I wanted something that is innocent and has fond memories attached to it and just put a whole new creepy spin on it. Mm-hmm. But what I'm worried about is that people will think that like I'm not a fan of The Sound of Music. <laughs> reality, I am like a mega fan of The Sound of Music. Like I love it unironically. It's this is like one of my favorites. And so this was really it came from a place of love using this song. I mean, and it does speak to, I guess, the message of what Ewan is trying to discover with the house, um, especially the whole 16 going on 17 idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned that you were scared writing or it, it terrified you to write the, the coffee cup scene, which uh, there may be snakes involved in this book. <laughs> so if you've got a thing about snakes, <laughs> be warned. <laughs> Do you often find yourself, like, do you scare yourself while writing or do you feel like you have greater control over the story? Sometimes I scare myself. Um, there was a scene in Final Girls that I wrote where I was like, wow, I'm, I'm getting chills here. I'm messed up writing this right now. <laughs> and, and it happened with Home Before Dark because I spent, a, I wrote a lot of it at night, you know, just in my dim office with my laptop all alone, just because I thought it would, you know, the mood was, was appropriate right. for writing this kind of book. <laughs> And so there were moments where I'd be like, what's that sound? What was that? (laughs) And with, with the, you know, the, the snakes and you say there may be snakes. There are definitely snakes. (laughs) Um, Like I, I hate snakes. I hate them. They terrify me. But I knew that, you know, her father's book was this phenomenal bestseller and pop culture, it became a part of pop culture, sort of like the Amityville house is to us. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it needed some iconic, truly scary, disturbing moments that would warrant this book getting all this attention. Right. And so that was a big challenge to be like, okay, what can I do that really could capture like the zeitgeist in such a way? And so the scene with the snakes was definitely one of them. I just knew it had to be big and it had to be terrifying and I didn't want to write it because snakes, again, so scary. But I just had to, like, buckle up and get through it. Yeah. yeah. I really um, loved it because I I definitely would be Maggie. Like, I would be constantly looking for some sort of, like, reasonable, reasonable explanation for everything that happens. Like, nope, it's not haunted. Like, there's a reasonable, there's, there's a reason. And I, when I got to that chapter about, with, like, the snakes, I was like, I don't know how I can explain this away. Like this is <laughs> creepy. The the logic has been beaten. I know. I would have been immediately. I'm like, oh no, it's a ghost. Like <laughs> I was reading it. My my fiance went to the gym and it was like late at night and I was sitting on the couch reading it. And we live in a very safe, protected building, but he opened the door and I jumped so hard. And he was like, What's wrong? And I was like, you just need to like be gentler with the door when I'm reading this kind of book, please. And thank you. (laughs) But speaking of those like jumpy moments, home before dark has already been optioned for film. Correct. 
It has been, yes. Um, so um, the, what's the producers that like? of Stranger Things have like opted <gasps> it. So that's yeah. incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's it was kind of crazy because there were several studios and production companies like who who really wanted this book, and so I got to talk with some really really cool people and sort of hear their visions for the book, and um, nothing has happened since then because this was literally like. Two weeks before coronavirus hit, oh gosh, Hollywood shut down. So um, there's been nothing more, but it just was really cool to get like months before the book came out to have Hollywood come calling. Um, Do you have any interest in writing screenplays? I would and I do, but not based on my own books. Oh, interesting. I would not be able to because I know they're whole they're separate beast. Like a screenplay and a book are. And I would not know the first thing about what I would need to take out and put in and just rearrange to turn one of my books into a, a, a decent screenplay. Yeah, the art of adaption, adapting from book to screen, I think, is like a really strong art form because um, people are always going to be like, the book is better. But I do think that Home Before Dark is going to translate really, really well to film. Um, and I can already hear the creepy music and the undertones. So that's something that's really exciting for us to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're working on anything else right now, can you tell us about it? I am working on something right now and I can't really say anything except it's going to be completely different from Home Before Dark. Like, no, no two books in one, no ghost to be like a adrenaline filled thriller. Just zoom. Perfect. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Well, I cannot wait to hear more about that when we can. Yes. All right. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners where they can find you? Anything else you'd like to share? Um, I'm, my website is RileySagerBooks.com. And there's all the information and links to where you can buy my books. And there's also links to my social media. I'm like on Twitter and Instagram all the time. And, you know, so you can guys find me there. Which um, following on Instagram has been really fun. Your countdown towards publication, which our episode will be out uh, tomorrow on your publication day. So uh, make sure to check out Riley on Instagram because this book cover glows in the dark. It does. It is so, so cool. It's such a neat feature. So Home Before Dark is available wherever books are sold June 30th. And uh, we encourage you to pick it up from your local independent bookstore. And we are so, so happy to have had you today, Riley. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad you're aboard the Thriller Train now. Yes, all aboard. <laughs> She's here to stay. <laughs> Every, I, I was teasing it. I didn't share it with anyone that I was reading it. And I was like, you'll find out on Tuesday what book it was. And I can't <laughs> wait for people to be shocked. And now I'm going to go through all the backlist. <laughs> yes. Excellent. My evil plan is working. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Riley for joining us. You can find Riley on Instagram at Riley.Sager and on Twitter at Riley underscore Sager. If you enjoyed today's author interview, please make sure to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or stop by our Instagram at ReaderListedPod with your thoughts on today's episode. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Original music by Jake Thorne. Podcast produced and edited by me, Ashley Chandler, and Phoebe Wright. You can find us on Instagram at Read It or List It Pod. All rights reserved 2020.